Good morning, everyone. Um, I don't want to, but I probably need to share with you the embarrassing tale of the morning that I thought I should correct Richard Rohr. If you don't know Father Richard Rohr, he's a world-famous spiritual director, Catholic priest, Franciscan monk, master of the Enneagram, author, speaker. It's kind of a big deal, right? At the moment, his popularity spans four generations. And I and a few of my friends got to go hang out with Father Richard Rohr for a week at his Center for Act- Action and Contemplation in New Mexico. Here's a picture of us hanging out because I have to prove it. Do we have a picture? Yeah, there we are. There we are in Richard Rohr's backyard. There he is petting his dog. I'm standing right over his left shoulder. So we got to hang out there and, and, and it was really fun. Um, you know, he's from the Catholic tradition and we're from the Protestant tradition, but there's, there was so much that we had in common as we were talking that week. And um, until he got to Leviticus, he, he said a few things about the book of Leviticus, that, about how to read it and what its value was. And I just thought he was way, way off. And it really upset me because I'd been actually at that time been spending a lot of time studying Leviticus to teach here. I love misunderstood things anyway. And when he said that, it was, it was pretty short, but my heart was pounding. You know how that gets when you hear something? You're just like, that's not right. And my temples are throbbing and my breath is short. And I'm thinking, should I hold up my hand right now and get into a fight with Father Richard Rohr? And I thought, here's a person who has has taken vows to give up relationships in order to serve the Lord. He's a Franciscan monk. He's taken a vow of poverty to serve the Lord. He's been doing this longer than I'm alive. What am I going to say? He hasn't already heard and considered and decided what he thought. How am I going to set roar on the path of righteousness from my infinite store of wisdom? (laughs) I decided in that moment... And I will say, this is probably the first time in my ministry I remember doing this. I decided in that moment to stay quiet. I just kind of sit and let it go by. So, let it go by. We went out to lunch, that group you see on the screen. Then we went out to lunch. We talked about what a great day it was and the things that we learned and so forth. And then somebody else in the group said, except for that part about Leviticus, he was way off on that. And everybody in the group goes, yeah, yeah, that was kind of weird. See what happened there? They already knew. Everybody in the room already knew. The Holy Spirit's already at work in the church. No one needed me to be the writer of wrongs and the crusader of truth. And you know what I mean? And they already knew. God already had it. And we had a great day. And he enjoyed hanging out with us. And we enjoyed learning things from him. And best of all, I didn't embarrass myself. And I didn't embarrass everybody that I was with, other pastors from Kansas City and other folks from here in the church. And we had peace, and it was a blessed peace. And truth still won out. I grew up a little that day. I thought, I ought to practice this uh, quiet thing more often. I'll tell you since then, every time that I have had that feeling where I hear something I don't like and it's not quite right and my heart's pounding, my heart is racing, my breath is short. Every time that I have in that moment prayed, Lord, do do you need me to say something here? You'd be surprised how little the Lord needs me. (laughs) And every time I have done that, I have found on the backside, the Lord has it. He's got it. His truth is already at work. It's already in play. The foundation is strong. 
He doesn't need to be me to be his inquisitor and his instrument. Not very often. Not very often at all. In fact, I will tell you that every time that I have failed to say that prayer because I just got so worked up and I just had to blurt out and be right and I've embarrassed myself every time. And I have embarrassed those who minister with me. This passage today from 2 Timothy, it's all about this growing up. This growing out of this need to be this way. And this is going to be a hard teaching for some of us. Especially if you're like me. Um, where you, you see yourself as the writer of wrongs and the champion of the truth and, and these sorts of things. It's going to be hard. But we're going to take it slow and we will get through together. And we'll be taught by the scriptures. So we're in Second Timothy and we're in chapter 2. And there are false teachers in the church. There are false teachers in the church. They are literally leading people away from Jesus Christ. And people are freaking out, I gather, from what Paul's writing. Um, and they are scared and they're wondering... How can this be a work of God? The church, they mean, right? The church is pretty young at this point. And they're saying, how can this be a work of God if there's already false teachers scattered through it and they're influential and they're leading people away? And to this concern, the Apostle Paul writes this. God's truth stands firm like a foundation stone. With this inscription, the Lord knows those who are his. And all who belong to the Lord must turn away from evil. In a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions and the cheap ones are for everyday use. What does this mean? It means that God's truth uh, is not upset by the presence of false teachers. It's on a firm foundation. The church is on a firm foundation. And and on that firm foundation, there is a cornerstone. And on that cornerstone is written, the Lord knows who are his. The Lord knows who are his. And also is written on that cornerstone, all who belong to the Lord must turn away from evil. Interesting that it didn't say all who belong to the Lord must crush out all those who are false. All who belong to the Lord must shout down those who are teaching falsely. It says all who belong to the Lord must turn away from evil. Interesting. Because some of us may have this fear about our own church right here at Lakeland, right? That there are false teachers and they have influence. You know you have heard people in this congregation teach other people things that are contrary to the scriptures as you understand them. You know you have seen other people lead folks into a life that you know is the opposite direction that Jesus would have them go. Now, right now, everyone's wondering, oh my gosh, who's he talking about? Who's he going after? No one in particular. Honestly, I'm not. I don't have anything in particular in mind because it doesn't matter who I think the false teachers are. It matters who you think the false teachers are and what you plan to do about that. What you wonder if the Lord's calling you to do about that. That's what matters this morning. Because he says, this is an interesting passage. He says, in a wealthy house... There are gold and silver utensils for special use and wooden clay for everyday use. Now, here a little Greek can help because it, special occasion, it doesn't mean like special occasions like you're having people over. Special use means like, you know, the important, the good stuff. When, when the Bible says everyday use in this passage, it means more like embarrassingly everyday use. Those things you have to do every day that we don't really talk about politely. It means that kind of everyday use. 
And so he says, in a wealthy home, you have gold and silver utensils. And what do you do with those? You eat off those. You drink off of those. If a wealthy house still has some wood and clay utensils, you can bet what those are being used for. To take garbage out of the house and to take human waste out of the house. And Paul is saying, just because a house has a garbage can and a toilet in it, doesn't mean it's unholy. It's just a house. Just because the church has false teachers in it doesn't discredit the entire church. It's just a house. Houses have those kind of things. In fact, he goes on to expound on that. He says, if you keep yourself pure, you'll be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean. You'll be ready for the master to use you for every good work. He doesn't say to root it out, to shout it down. He says, it's going to be there. It's a house. You make sure that you're uh, being used honorably for the Lord. It's interesting. Jesus already said this, you know. Jesus already said this once. Do you remember the story about the weeds and the wheat? Do you remember that? There was a, uh, in Jesus' story, there's a farmer who planted a wheat field and his hands came in and said, someone has filled your wheat field with weeds. Do you want us to go out and pull the weeds? What did the farmer say in Jesus' story? No. If you pull the weeds right now, you'll pull some weed up with it. Just let them grow together. I'll sort it out in the end of the harvest. And I'll burn the weeds. I'll keep the wheat. Jesus is saying, in this world, there's weeds and wheat growing up together. And if you go on some sort of witch hunt and try to pull up all the weeds, because we've got to purify the fields, that's going to be very upsetting to a lot of people. That is a, that's going to be a painful exercise. You're going to injure a lot of wheat. while you. And plus, who's going to pick the weeds? Me? I might be a weed. That's another thing. Some folks might be weeds now, but then they're going to receive true teaching from Christ, and they're going to become wheat. If you pull them right now, that'll never happen. That's why God says, let them all grow up together. It's a field. Let them all grow up together. I'll sort it out in the end. I know who are mine. You only have to make sure you flee. What's the other thing on the cornerstone? You must flee from what is evil. Make sure you're not one of the weeds. Make sure you're not one of the false teachers. Make sure you're not following the false teachers. That's all you have to do. God's got it. That's what he does. He sorts things out. You don't have to sort things out. How do we make sure we're not the weeds or we're not the false teacher? Paul has a word for that. He says, run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Now, run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. The way that's translated, you immediately go to, oh, like, like sex stuff. Huh. That's, it seems from left field because it helps in a little bit of the Greek underlying the passage here. What that passage actually says in the Greek is, flee from the nature of youth. Flee from the nature of youth. Flee from the types of things young people do. Flee from immaturity, he's saying. What's that? From just that phrase, I couldn't tell you. But I can tell you this. The fact that Paul says flee from it gives us a clue. Here's Bible study time. Paul tells us to flee from lots of things in his letters. Many times he says flee from. And if you took all of Paul's writings and found that phrase flee from, when you, if you add them all up, what comes after, it's always two things. 
sexual immorality, so it is there, but also anger, bitterness, and strife. So what does it mean here, flee from the nature of youth? Is it sexual immorality or anger, bitterness, and strife? Well, since the verses right before this from last week were about anger, bitterness, and strife, and the verses right after this next week are about anger, bitterness, and strife, I think it's safe to say that today's verses call us to flee from anger, bitterness, and strife. Flee from that nature that is in young people to have to argue and be right about everything. Do you have any young people in your life who have to argue and be right about everything? Of course you do. That's what young people do. Do you have any family members who have never grown out of that stage? I'll tell you, you have a pastor who's taken too long to start this journey. Paul is telling us to flee from the youthful need to argue and debate and be right. What do we do instead? This is what I love about Paul. He doesn't just tell us, stop it. He gives you something to do instead. He says, instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. What an awesome memory verse that would make. Have some of you been wanting to start to memorize scripture, to have something of God rolling around in you all week instead of weird song lyrics and such, movie quotes uh, in my case? Um, consider 2 Timothy chapter 2, the last half of verse 22. It calls us to pursue righteous living. Pursue righteous living. Here's what I found about anger, bitterness, and strife after 20 years of ministry. This is an interesting phenomenon. I have found that the people who are the most argumentative, you know, just obnoxious about it, like the ones who are the most obnoxious about standing up for the poor and arguing about that, always seem to be the same ones who just recently massively expanded something in their lifestyle and their giving's not really keeping up anymore or has actually gone down a little bit. And they're the ones out agitating for more generosity toward the poor. And the ones who are agitating against, um, you know, cultural impurity, sexual immorality, abortion, these sorts of things. I'm talking about the ones who are most obnoxious about it in the church to the point of it being destructive. They're always the ones who are struggling the most with pornography, adultery, sexual addiction. Why is that? I really don't believe it's because they're, they're evil hypocrites or two-faced or something. I really don't believe that. I believe that they see it. They see that shortcoming in their life. They feel that sin in their life. And they can't beat it. And so subconsciously, I believe they make an exchange. Lord, I will use my voice. Lord, I will crusade. Lord, I will fight. I will be outspoken. I will defend the poor. And, and, and will that make up for the fact that I'm spending an awful lot on myself and not giving much anymore? And Lord, I will defend purity and sexual purity and I will stand up for the truth. And will that cover up for the fact that I've got a bad secret? And I just want to tell you this morning, God's not like that. He does not need you to crusade and use your voice and, and be disruptive and destructive in order for him to love you. He already loves you. Truth told, the Lord doesn't even need you to be less materialistic and give more for him to love you. The Lord doesn't even need you to flee adultery and pornography and promiscuity for him to love you. He already loves you. 
He wants you to flee all of these things because this path that you're on is going to destroy you. It has already started. Your heart is already shrinking whether you've noticed it or not. And his righteous life that he's calling you to, that is going to bring you a full life, an abundant life. And he wants you to have a full and abundant life. And when you pursue that and it brings you true happiness, that pleases God because he loves you and wants good for you. And so when you pursue a life that brings you good, it pleases him because he already loves you. Pursue righteous living. Paul tells us instead of all this fighting and strife, pursue faithfulness. You know what faithfulness is in the Bible? Faithfulness is a model, thing modeled by God and it is to keep your end of the deal even when others don't. That's what biblical faithfulness is. That's what our whole Christian faith is because the Lord in the Old Testament said, Follow me, worship me, and I'll bring you uh, blessings, including eternal life. Well, we didn't follow him, and we didn't worship him alone, and yet he went to the cross anyway, and he purchased blessings and eternal life for us. That's God's faithfulness. So he calls us to emulate my faithfulness. So that would be keeping your end even when someone else doesn't. Now, that could be something really big, like forgiving someone who sinned against you, even, you, even though you know they would never forgive you if you had done that to them but you emulate the faithfulness of God and you keep the end even when they don't and that has a power to change things. It's a God-given power. It could also be something very small like uh, doing someone's chore, helping them with their chores when you know they'd never lift a finger to help you. That's a, a little everyday faithfulness. Paul tells us to pursue love. If you're looking for things to do, you can do today instead of uh, strife, try this one. Pursue love. Uh, love is the primary attribute of God, right? First John says, God is love. And Jesus says, there's no greater love than this to lay down your life for your friends. So today, even though you're too exhausted and too busy and don't have anything left, you know someone has a need and you could just go and help them with that, to be there with them for that, to have one more conversation about that, even though you don't have it in you, out of love. We lay down our life for our friend one more time. He tells us to pursue peace. Peace is a huge thing in the Bible. Peace has dozens of awesome definitions. Um, Today, it probably fits best with the part of it that is uh, to be free of anger, strife, and arguments. You know, to, to not have to attack Father Richard Rohr because his views on Leviticus were a little way off. (laughs) And then he gets to enjoy teaching us. We do learn good things from him. We don't embarrass those around us, and we have peace. And everyone already knows the truth anyway, because the Holy Spirit is at work. Pursue peace. In fact, today, if you came in, I hope you got a card and a pen. You can go back and get one before the Lord's table if you want. And you can just write on that card, an argument or a debate that you've been in, you've been the crusader, and, and, and maybe you could just write it on that card and leave it at the foot of the cross and say, Lord, maybe you don't need me to be the one on this who fixes this. Maybe you're already fixing this. Maybe you need me to pursue righteousness and love and peace. And you could leave it here at the foot of the cross. Maybe it's a person you've been arguing or debating with. You're like, Lord, maybe I'm not going to change them. Or maybe I would change them more if I pursued righteousness and faithfulness and love and peace. I leave this person with you, God. Will you care for them? Will you change their heart? Will you adjust their thinking? 
And you can leave it right here at the foot of the cross. You can just put an initial if you'd rather. Or you can draw a little stick figure that represents them. Because maybe it's the person sitting next to you. And they'd be real uncomfortable to see their name on that card as you came forward. Here's my favorite part. At the end, uh, what can we do instead? Paul says, enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Enjoy the companionship. We would call that community. And it doesn't just mean to come to church and go to your small group. Although it does also mean that. Please come to church and please go to your small group. But also enjoy companionship. Do you like playing Frisbee golf? Call some folks from here and go play Frisbee golf. Enjoy one another. This is a call from God. This has healing power. Do you like scrapbooking? Why not get everyone together? Get your scissors, get your pictures, get your little paper and and do it. Enjoy one another. All of you who signed up for this Lakeland camping at Giacomo thing, we've sold out almost all the spots. That's going to be enjoying one another's companionship. That's going to have healing power in the church. That's going to counteract a lot of arguments and strife. That's a good thing. That's what we're called to. That's the cornerstone of the church. We're called to build a community of authentic followers of Jesus Christ. This is the mission we feel God's given to Lakeland. To build a community of authentic followers of Jesus Christ. Who pursue righteous living together and faithfulness and love and peace. And enjoy one another's companionship. Let us pray. Father, may your word set us free. Set us free to trust you, to stop trying to do your work for you, to do what you did call us to do, to be your church in the way you, you, you did call us to be your church. Lord, help us today to pursue righteousness, faithfulness, love, peace, to enjoy the companionship of those who also seek you. Thank you, Lord, that you have all the rest. You know who are yours. It's the name of Christ we pray. Amen.